Welcome to Podcast 1017. This podcast will feature interviews with Drew's professionals who are experts in their fields and who will share their experiences and success stories. We hope the podcast will allow you to not only learn about various industries, but also inspires you to achieve your own version of greatness. Network 1017 knows the importance of a strong network and have made it our mission to provide you opportunities to build professional networks and to cultivate success within our community. This episode is brought to you by the generous donations of our sponsors, Yusuf and Sausan Radwan, Raja Radwan, Nabil and Dad Al-Mashtoul, Joe and Renda Ghazan, Wael and Diana Fayad, Mike and Salam Raida. Thank you. Hey everyone, please welcome our guest Rima Radwan Bogan, an attorney at the Office of Trade with the U.S. Customs Service advocate for death and hard of hearing issues in Washington, D.C. And Rima is going to talk to us a little bit about networking on and offline. So Rima, please tell us a little bit more about your career and kind of a little bit how you got started. Sure. Um, So I'm an attorney with the United States Customs Service in Washington, D.C. in the Office of Trade at Regulations and Rulings. Most of my work involves drafting binding rulings concerning the classification of imported merchandise under what's called the Harmonized Tariff Schedule of the United States. I also look at the eligibility of imports for marking as products of NAFTA countries and country of origin determinations for purposes of classification. These rulings, these sorts of rulings are important for facilitating trade by enabling companies to make business decisions that are dependent on how those goods will be treated upon importation. And this is often done in the context of how certain classification will affect that tariff rate on imported merchandise. I tend to focus on merchandise involving chemicals, petroleum, metals, and miscellaneous articles within my branch at our office. I also assist with trade litigation before the Court of International Trade and the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit. In this capacity, I review and provide comments on motions and briefs that are filed by the Justice Department. Something that I enjoy most about my job is that I get to learn something new every day, whether it be a scientific analysis that touches upon legal principles we look at in our rulings, a new trade agreement that's being negotiated, interesting miscellaneous articles, pipelines, or pharmaceuticals. Right now, my cases actually run the gamut from classification of drones to whether imported runway hood couture merchandise is entitled to duty-free treatment upon importation. I've been working here now for about six years, and prior to that, I started my career at a big firm in Los Angeles doing commercial litigation. That's amazing. So, wow, your career sounds extremely, a little bit, at least in my end, because I'm a marketing student, I mean, marketing, uh, you know, my marketing profession. So just listening to what you have to do is literally, it sounds very complicated and complex, but I, but then again, I'm sure you love it and you love what you're doing. So that's really cool. Um, (laughs) Of course. So tell me a little bit more. I guess we'll, I mean, we're going to get a little, we're going to dive deep a little bit into what you do and maybe some of the turning points you had in your life. So my next question would be, what, what was, was there a moment or turning point in your life that led you to your career path? Definitely. And um, while it's a bit cliche, I'm a big believer in the idea that everything happens for a reason. For me, my big turning point was when I decided to apply for and start an LLM at Georgetown Law in D.C. At that time, I had been working at a firm in L.A. right after law school, and this was right after the recession had hit around like 2009-2010. While I had a job at a big firm, I was very unhappy with my day-to-day work and unsatisfied with where I saw myself going in this career path. 
Um, I had gone into law school thinking I could get into work with a more global focus, focus, but I was quickly realizing that I was moving further and further away from that. So I took a big risk and, um, in deciding to go back to school in a new city. But at the time, I promised myself that if I did this, I wouldn't waste a single minute both inside and outside of the classroom. Because I knew that no matter how good my grades were, in a competitive and niche field such as international trade and customs law, I had to make the right networking connections to land a job. At the same time that all of this was happening, I was experiencing some life-changing health issues related to hearing loss. I was at a crossroads professionally and personally, but as my health started to recover, it was a reminder and motivator for me not to miss out on the second chance and not to take anything for granted. And so, you know those Facebook memory reminders you get, like, you know, one year ago, five years ago? So I actually came across one from about nine years ago, just like two days ago. Mm -hmm. And it was around this time period that I'm describing, and it was a quote from The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho, which is one of my favorite books. And uh, coming across it again this week, I realized how true it rings, even nine years later. Mm -hmm. And it went like this. Uh, Change, but start slowly because direction is more important than speed. And I think that is so important. Have a strategic plan, make a list of things you need to do consistently to get there, and focus on the process. This was how I was able to parlay my experience at Georgetown into a strong networking strategy that landed me in my current position. Wow, it's amazing to hear because um, most people who who suffer from death and hearing have a hard time... uh, you know, transitioning into the normal world and, and also in just careers. So to see you overcome that and say, you know what, I don't care that this was, you know, this happened to me. I'm going to take advantage, take as much, um, take on as, as much challenges as I can to experience change for my growth. So that's really powerful. I mean, it's, and it's also inspiring because I'm recently doing a competition and I'm thinking like the whole time I was thinking, oh, I want to win. I want to win. And until I sat back and realized, you know what, why do I want to win? What's the point of winning? What do I really want to get out of this, mm-hmm. right? And it was really just the process of my growth. And when I realized that the process of my growth doesn't always require winning, it just requires actually changing and just doing it and trying to grow with the process, right? So Definitely. I love that. That's very powerful. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so my, one of my next questions for, for you would be, what would you say was the hardest thing to overcome with your disability? So one of the hardest things I would say would be overcoming people's misconceptions and prejudgments about how hearing loss affects me. I may not hear well, but that doesn't affect who I am, what I'm capable of accomplishing, or how I think. The biggest obstacles I think that people with disabilities face are those that are put up by society. And it was a struggle for me when I first started to lose my hearing in my 20s. But as I learned to gain acceptance of this new journey, and most importantly, not blame myself for the obstacles that I faced, it has motivated me to fight even harder. You are your own best advocate, and you have to speak up for the accommodations you need because no one else is going to do it for you. This is why um, I'm actively working with a group of dedicated deaf and hard of hearing people in D.C. to pass local legislation requiring that a certain number of movie showings each week have open captions. Open captioning in general is an issue that's very important to me because I think it's a, it's a universal accommodation that can help so many, not just deaf and hard of hearing people, but the elderly, veterans, people that are like learning English as a second language. I think it's such an important thing that we need to have um, there needs to be greater access to it in different in different aspects. But right now we're focusing on movie theaters. And uh, we currently have draft legislation with the D.C. Council and are working on getting that passed soon. 
I'm also a board member of the Deaf and Hard of Hearing Bar Association, which works to support and encourage other members, provide advice, educate others, inspire change, and come, to an and come together as an organization for the advancement of people with hearing disabilities in the legal profession. It was as part of this group that I was that had such a cool experience, actually, because I was among the first group of deaf and hard of hearing attorneys to be sworn in at the United States Supreme Court. Looking back on that, that was actually such a surreal process because it was like I was just a couple feet away from um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Elena Kagan, and Chief Justice Roberts actually took the, took the time to learn a phrase in sign language. And so usually when you get sworn into the Supreme Court bar, they say, your motion is granted. And he had an interpreter teach him how to sign out. Super cool to watch. Oh, wow, that's super, super cool. Yeah. That's amazing to see how all those people have are going through the same thing, but also are supporting you, you know, and especially him supporting the people and learning how to do sign language, right? Yeah. So that's, that's phenomenal. That's really yeah. cool. And you have to make cool people out of that, too. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, just like, and also just like what you said was really powerful because... It, it just shows that you're taking right now maybe it's seen as baby steps but they're big they're gonna be even bigger steps to other things that people are gonna also start advocating for and and trying to change and make it easier for the deaf and hard of hearing people as well yeah and I mean it wasn't something like when I first started experiencing this hearing loss in my 20s like I definitely was not I'm in a much better place today in terms of acceptance and not being ashamed and not blaming myself and I think that's so important because like once you once you accept that you're empowered to make change in your local community on on a lot of different levels. Right, right. And and if you don't mind me asking, like, what 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 did you do to help you through that process of acceptance? Um, it was definitely a long road. I mean, I tried to find like support groups. Some of them were more helpful than others. Like when I went to, it was actually just a group of old people with hearing loss. Oh. Um, <laughs> not that I mean it's. It's still important, but, but it's just like that's it's, it's a little different group. experiencing hearing loss as someone in your 20s as opposed to someone in your mm. 70s. Right. But so it was a trial and error, you know, like especially when I moved to D.C., it was a lot easier because D.C. has a huge deaf and hard of hearing population. There's the deaf university, Gallaudet University. Yeah. Um, the federal government employs a lot of people with different disabilities, deaf and hard of hearing. And so it was easier to connect with very accomplished other like deaf and hard of hearing professionals here and they definitely motivated me and like everyone you know like it's a different experience if like me you you know I grew up with normal hearing I used to sing like I was really into music and I lost my hearing later in life but then others that grow up deaf they have a different experience but there's such diversity within that community here in DC so I think that's really helpful like I I started to accept it more when I moved here versus when I was living in Los Angeles where the community isn't as large. That's where I actually went to the, the support group that was like mostly 70 year olds. So. Oh. <laughs> but, but it's, yeah, that's really hard <laughs> just having to experience that in general. But it, I, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you were able to find your people in some way and just kind of put yourself out there to to be open to that. It kind of shows with the whole tying of networking, right? Yeah. Even just even whatever whatever problems you may have, find that group that you resonate with the most and and be able to network through there. And I'm sure just being on the boards and, and, and you know, solving some of these issues in D.C., you've got you've gained like great connections through. Yeah, I mean, like right now, I, I'm trying to learn sign language, but um, it's a very hard language. Like mm -hmm. I grew up, like I, I was very good at languages growing up. I, I was 
fairly fluent in Spanish. I read and write Arabic, which a lot of people actually don't believe anymore because of my hearing, but I actually wow. am fluent and I, and I, I minored it in college. But so I was really good with languages when I was younger, but I'm struggling to pick up sign language, but I'll, I'll get there. I've, right. I'm taking sign language lessons with my husband, actually. So. Oh, that's super cool. I saw even your, uh, your doormat. Yes. <laughs> I, was, I was just doing it until you opened the door, and I was like, oh, I better stop before she thinks I'm weird. <laughs> We're getting there. So <laughs> Thankfully, I read lips, so, um, and I wear a hearing aid. Right, right. That's pretty cool that you read lips. Um, now that's forcing me to pronunciate my words yeah, properly. Yeah, I mean, like or enunciate. Excuse me. That's the thing. Like, even though you know, I'm, I am very involved with the deaf and hard of hearing community, but at the same time, I grew up hearing. I, you know, I work in a, my office. I'm the only deaf person there, or deaf, hard of hearing, whatever, however you want to identify yourself. Um, so I, you know, I live in both worlds, and so I have to. I, I have to work harder even because I because I lip read it it takes more effort. I try to make sure I'm in an environment where I can control the circumstance, the acoustics basically. Like mm-hmm. you know, if I'm in a very loud, noisy restaurant or bar or something, like I'm gonna tend to avoid that place. But um, you know, the the reality is, you know, I live in both worlds and I try to acclimate to both worlds. I'm and having grown up with hearing, normal hearing, and losing my, I feel like at the same time, I think it's kind of like this actually with Lebanese Americans that are born here. It's mm-hmm. like, you're not Lebanese enough for Lebanon, and you're not American enough. <laughs> and so like, I'm also like, not just on that level. So it's right. like, I have this duality with being Lebanese American, and then also not being deaf enough for the deaf community, not being hearing enough for the hearing mm. community, but being Lebanese American kind of like, you know, primed me for that. So, right. so it kind of prepared you for for what's what actually came into yes. your life. Yes. Interesting. That's a. That's a. I don't know if it's a positive way to look at. I mean, it is a positive way yes. to look at it, <laughs> which is which is kind of cool. I would never have thought of it that way. <laughs> All right. Well, and so and you said something. So when you lost it, you said something that I wanted to ask you. Actually, you said you lost it in your twenties. So I know when kids are born, uh, being deaf or hard of hearing they have something else in their senses that's stronger. Now that they have something else in their senses, out of all the senses they have, right? One of them is a little bit stronger. So let's say if you lost your hearing, their their sense of smell is stronger than... than Um, Yeah, I mean, like... Did you gain a stronger sense? I I I don't know if I'm asking the right question, but, like, you know what I mean? I would say, like, I mean, I have pretty good eyesight. (laughs) And um, unfortunately, I have the sense of smell of a dog and I can smell everything so when my when my cat you know does her duty like my husband doesn't smell and I'm like Kiki just uh had an accident somewhere so I I don't know I don't I honestly don't know if that's related to hearing loss or what but um I do have a stellar sense of smell (laughs) that that unfortunately I have too and it drives me insane it drives me crazy my dad used to always call me. He's like, he's like, I, I, we don't even need a dog. We have a German Shepherd in the house. So I'm just like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> As I smell everything. Ah, uh, yes, I'm, I'm probably like a German Shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. so I guess related to like, kind of like you dealing with disabilities and everything and going through that process, but just in general, going back to your career, um, did you have any role models or mentors that helped guide you to find your career? Well, I would say there wasn't a specific role model or mentor that helped guide me, but when I was doing my LLM, I found that reaching out to certain professors was really useful. A lot of my professors at Georgetown were either working or used to work in international economic organizations or government agencies, so they had a lot of expertise in their field. They also provided me with valuable guidance about the local job market 
and the kind of work that I wanted to do. Um, most importantly, they were able to introduce me to people who worked at organizations or agencies that tended to mesh with my career goals. Wow. Okay. That's, uh, I like that you said your professors because sometimes people are always like, I need a mentor. I need a mentor. And um, sometimes that doesn't always come, you know, and sometimes you just have to create the opportunities yourself. So asking those professors was exactly. a, is a really, really great idea. Uh, do, do you recall any specific challenges you encountered and overcame during the process since you didn't have a, really a mentor? But do you recall any other challenges you had to kind of go through along with the disabilities or maybe just being the disability itself? Well, I mean, the whole process itself, like I was, you know, I was working at a big firm and I decided to uproot my life in Los Angeles where I grew up and where my family is, um, pay more tuition for school and moved to D.C. to earn my LLM at Georgetown. So that was definitely a big risk because in the legal field, and especially right after the slow recovery from the recession around 2010, landing a job in D.C. is just as much about the network you build as it is about your grades in school. And with that in mind, I was determined not to squander the opportunity I had to study at Georgetown and spent most of my free time from school networking. So what's nice about my field is that it's such a small niche field with a small universe of people working in the type of jobs that I was pursuing. So one of the most useful things I did at that time was cold emailing people on LinkedIn to set up coffee meetings. So most of the people that I reached out to either knew some of my contacts or worked in jobs that interested me so that I could learn more about what he or she does on a daily basis. And it was through there that I ultimately developed the contact that led me to where I am today. Wow, so you, you cold emailed people on LinkedIn. Every single day, actually. Um, wow. I've probably sent an email a day, and I can't even count, keep track of how many coffee meetings I went to. So. That's amazing. That That is not normal <laughs> for people to do, especially when they're looking for, like, unless it's like you're running a business, which you are running your career, but, but if you're running, like, a business, most people would do something like that, but, but most who are looking for, like, a nine-to-five or, you know, not running their own business don't tend to do that. So that's phenomenal. Well, I mean... Um, you know, like with social media, it's not like you just create an account on LinkedIn and magic happens. You have to like, you have to move past just your online presence. You, you, you connect there, but then you have to move it offline. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's really important. Like sending emails is fine. You're not going to get a job just from emailing someone. You have to develop that personal connection mm-hmm. in person. And even with my hearing loss. So I would be up front in the very beginning of these coffee meetings, you know, like I have hearing loss. I might ask you to repeat what you're saying, but I would really make it clear that despite that, you know, I am engaged, I am thoughtful, I have a lot to contribute. Um, confidence is key. Yeah, <laughs> I can tell you have a lot of confidence, which is, <laughs> which is really... Definitely a process. <laughs> no, but that's, that's amazing because um, it's just, like, even when I talked to you when I first walked in, it, you know, I, I know you had hard of hearing, whatever, but it just, you didn't show that, like, you were embarrassed by it or you felt uncomfortable by it or anything like that. You were just like you know hey how are you like very welcoming very kind and and that and that shows that really it really shows a lot about you as a person because not only for your career because like oh she's super confident even with this they don't even think as this is as being a problem for you you know a problem for them even hiring you you know what i'm saying so to see that that's that's beautiful that's really encouraging that's very much thank you so much <laughs> And I guess this kind of plays to what you were just saying about networking and LinkedIn. But, you know, I'm assuming that as the next question I'm, I was about to ask you, like how's how social media played play a huge role in your life? Um, I'm assuming LinkedIn it was LinkedIn it. Well, so besides how it obviously allows you to stay in touch with old friends and family and friends around the globe, um, 
I find that if one knows how to use it strategically as opposed to mindlessly, which of course I've been guilty of, I mean, right. who's going to resist a cute cat video or a BuzzFeed list from time to time? <laughs> but um, it can reap various rewards if you know how to use it strategically. And in terms of my career, as I mentioned, part of my plan was this cold calling messaging strategy, strategy that I used with like profiles I came across on LinkedIn of people who had a job that sounded interesting and it was in my field of uh, international trade and customs law. And so actually, I want to explain a little more about how these would work. Um, I would try to set up coffee meetings to learn more about their job. And even if my goal was to get a job wherever that person worked, I definitely wouldn't say that. Um, I made a point never to say that either in the messages or when I met them in person, as I genuinely wanted to learn whether that sort of work that they did was something that I could see myself doing as a career. Mm. So these meetings were enormously useful, both uh, in order to learn more about the types of jobs out there with my LLM, which was an international business and customs law. And I also got a certificate in uh, World Trade Organization studies. Um, And so um, I would learn more about whether these types of jobs were whether these were the types of jobs I actually wanted, and especially if I wanted to go into government or go back into private practice doing trade and customs law, and to discover if there were actual openings available at these government agencies. And, I mean, all of these benefits as well, but even if they don't go anywhere, you're also practicing your interviewing skills, which is really important. So, you know, as I had mentioned, it was through one of these coffee meetings that I ultimately landed my current position. I met someone at my agency, um... He introduced me to a lot of his coworkers. He eventually introduced me to his boss. And um, it, this was, at, I think, like a, a international business and economic law conference. After I had met a lot of his coworkers, I met his boss there. She had me pass my resume and cover letter. And just from there, the process moved forward. Um, but patience is important for sure. Right. Um, I would also say, so in my personal life, social media just this week has been super amazing. Um, really? My okay. husband and I actually just signed a sales contract on a townhouse yesterday that we were able to identify before it ever went to market, which is super competitive right now where we live in um, Northern Virginia, Arlington, near Amazon HQ2. And this was all because of a Facebook post that I wrote. Um, We have a, uh, in the townhouse neighborhood, we have a secret townhouse neighborhood Facebook group. And after another townhouse we tried to purchase fell through in frustration one night, I I wrote a post in the secret group saying if anyone knew of any townhouses that were going to be put up for sale soon. And total stroke of luck with a sprinkle of social media. But I connected with our seller. We just signed our sales contract. We still can't believe how, I think for this reason, I probably will never delete Facebook because I've gone on Facebook purchases before. But um, actually, with that in mind. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. I, I still can't believe it. <laughs> but um Obviously, it's important to use social media responsibly. And I know like right now with that Russian face app that ages you and it steals your private data. So, I mean, I never, you know, I you have to be really responsible in using it. Don't dilly dally with pointless apps just to, like, right. I mean, especially in this day and age with like Russian hackers and private data being leaked. But also, I would say if you know it's going to be a distraction from something important coming up, uh, you should create a barrier. And for example, I actually did this when I was studying for the California bar exam. I temporarily temporarily deleted all of my social media so that I could focus on studying and passing right. the first time. So and, um, that was really important. And that I can totally understand because I'm in the marketing industry. So I do that for all my clients, dealing with you know content and always having to be on social media. 
I totally wish I could just delete it sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, although I do do it for for a career, I just it some it drives you insane. So I've been there, done that, deleted it when I needed to really focus. So yeah, that's great, great advice, and that's super cool. You got a, you were able to get a, another townhouse just by that secret group. So. I still can't believe it. I know that's really really cool. Like uh, I mean, it's uh, pretty amazing that in you know, definitely the value of networking online. Yes. So I wanted to ask you, would kind of like you know, shifting a little bit of from social media, what kind of activities do you participate in to help you from burning out? So, um, especially the older I get, I realize more and more the importance of self-care. And so, um, I mean, general things I try to do, I work out regularly, go on long walks, I read a lot. Um, I'm a little nerdy about like historical dramas and period films, so I watch a lot of like, you know, I worm piece on BBC. I watch a lot of BBC documentaries <laughs> and shows. It's my nerdy passion. Hey, documentaries um, <laughs> are the best. I, love <laughs> I um, like to hang out with our Siberian forest cat. Um, exotic, very exotic. Very cute, you saw her. Yeah, very cute. <laughs> Um, my husband and I actually like to do one big overseas vacation a year, and so we'll be going to Italy in September, which I'm really looking forward to after all of this like moving and like home purchase drama is over. So it'll be a nice vacation. Uh, how? Um, where in Italy are you going? Oh, um, we're going to the Amalfi Coast in Rome. It's actually a oh. delayed honeymoon. We got married uh, in September, and oh. we didn't have. We took a mini moon after our, after our wedding, but we didn't have enough time to do an extended. We wanted to go on a longer honeymoon, so mm. it was going to be in May, but then we ended up scheduling it for September. So I'm That's so really exciting. looking forward to it. Congrats. That's exciting. And congrats on getting basically just married, I guess, a year from later. Congrats. Yes. <laughs> um, there's actually, so another thing I do, something I, I started taking up about two months ago, I took a four-day course in something called Transcendental Meditation with a private teacher at the DC Transcendental Meditation Center. Cool. And um, actually in two short months, I feel like I've seen a major difference in my anxiety and mental clarity and confidence. I try to practice it for about 20 minutes twice a day, which is what's recommended. And so it's different than other forms of meditation that focus on breathing, breathing and guided meditation, which I find really, uh, really helpful because I've never been good with other forms of meditation in the past. Uh, my teacher calls it self-guided because it's our, our mind leads the meditation. Mm -hmm. the, so it's actually, I find, I find it kind of interesting. The head of the International Transcendental Meditation Organization is actually a Harvard-educated Lebanese neurologist. And it's scientifically backed. Uh, it's a scientifically backed meditation practice, like studies from the Mayo Clinic. Um, Ellen DeGeneres and um, Jerry Seinfeld are practitioners. It's amazing. Like wow. I, wow. I'm loving it. <laughs> I'm better get that number. I, yeah, I actually want to try it out. I want to give you the information later. Yeah. They have like they've also changed their pricing scale for it. And what's nice about it is you have lifetime access to the teachers and the center and the meditations and. It's wonderful, and you can do it anywhere. Like I think I went to visit my sister a couple months ago to Seattle, and we had a really early morning flight. I literally just did it on the plane, like the plane ride to Seattle. Wow, it's okay. it's very it's like it's really good for mental clarity because I feel like um, my mind is always like I'm always busy, and I just need to like focus, focus sometimes, and I found it really helpful. Yeah, I would love to get the information though. That sounds amazing, and I think meditation is super important for your mental health and yeah. especially with our lives being so crazy and packed um i think a moment to yourself is much needed for self-love so Definitely. i love it i love it 
Well, then, well, you know, next question I really had for you was, uh, where do you see yourself in the next 10 years after hearing all this amazing things you're doing? I'd love to really, you know, you know, what is the goal? What is the plan? Um, so I would say that it's probably less of a plan now. I, I think after starting my career in the private sector and spending the last five or six years in the public sector um, as an attorney for U.S. Customs and the Office of Trade, I see myself probably developing a greater niche expertise on the issues that I've been working on, such as trade agreements and trade remedies and commodity classification, because customs law is often, it's a dynamic field and it's often changing. So I just want to develop my expertise further. And at the same time, I also see myself taking on more of a mentorship role to others seeking to work, seeking work in government in DC, particularly women and, um, and people with disabilities. I also, um, I also see myself pursuing more outside civic responsibilities to improve my local community, such as the DC uh, open captioning legislation that I mentioned earlier. Um, In in that capacity, I've been working to advance legislation um, by meeting with DC council members to discuss the importance of why it's needed in DC. And we actually recently testified in front of the DC council about the importance of the legislation. I strongly believe that um, I believe in one's civic responsibility to use skills that he or she has developed in order to advance important issues to improve the local community. I I hope in the future, actually, especially with everything going on with um, climate change, mm-hmm. I hope to do similar work um, with local advocacy for environmental protection in the future. Wow, that's amazing! It seems like you have a lot a lot planned or hope in hopes to be doing in the in the 10 years and i feel like with your confidence and your background and all the challenges you've overcame i think you definitely can def- definitely get it all done <laughs> <laughs> so i guess you know kind of tying all this and everything that you've said um together what advice would you give to someone who who's trying to start out in your field so i mean i'm actually not a natural networker mm-hmm. I would say like anything else, it's a muscle that you have to exercise. So my greatest piece of advice would be to not be afraid to get out of one's comfort zone. Expand your network, set up coffee chats with people that have careers that sound even remotely interesting. Mm -hmm. Even if it doesn't lead to anything, it's a learning experience on so many levels. It helps you learn more about potential jobs while also improving your networking and interviewing skills. Sometimes one person might not be able to help you, but they might be able to introduce you to someone they can. And so, like I said in the beginning, just focus on the process. Keep at it. Mm. Patience. Right. Patience. Change is more to, t- it, change is about direction rather than speed. Right. And loving the process, right? So. Definitely. Well, Rima, thank you. I loved, I loved everything you said. You really, um, you really shine for what you're doing and um, just giving all this great advice and tips and wisdom, especially from someone who comes with a background of disability and going to and going into law. It's just a, it's a, a powerful story for not only women, but for men as well. So thank you for taking the time to be on here in the show. Thank you. <laughs> of course, of course. All right, guys, stay tuned for the next guest. And if you have any questions, you can follow Rima. Um, I think you can email Rima, right? Can we email or LinkedIn or um, yeah, both of those work. Perfect. So then I will put all that we'll put all that information in so you guys can reach out to her if you have any questions. All right, guys. Bye.